Welcome to the show. In this one, I have a conversation with Alice Glenn, the host of Coffee and Quack, a podcast that explores native life in urban Alaska. Alice grew up in Utgavik, formerly known as Barrow, and then moved to the lower 48 to pursue a degree in aerospace studies. When she returned to Alaska in 2015, she realized that Alaska natives were often misrepresented in local media. So she set out to provide an authentic and accurate representation with what would become her podcast, Coffee and Quach. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribed to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine and pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the company man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. And if you have a chance to rate or review Crude Conversations on Apple Podcasts, please do. Okay, back to Alice Glenn. If you live in Alaska, then you're aware of racism toward Alaska Native people. It can be casual or it can be abrasive. Either way, it's detrimental to an entire group of people who have lived on this land for thousands of years, long before the Russians or the Europeans came here. And therein lies the heart of our conversation. Not racism specifically, but the effects of colonization to every facet of Alaska Native life. From culture, to religion, to how local media tends to highlight communities by their disparities which, in turn, continues an ongoing narrative about how Alaska Natives can't take care of themselves. This is why Alice started Coffee and Quack, because she wants to tell the truth about her people and other Alaska Natives, that they're strong, proud, and resilient. So here she is, Alice Glenn. <laughs> this red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude Conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work! Let's check your levels. Okay, hello. How are we feeling today? So, before we started, I asked you if you wanted a cup of coffee. Yeah. I noticed that it was black. <laughs> yeah. And you were about to tell me a story. Yeah, well, just a short story, I guess, or just a mention, really. Um, it's funny because we make fun of, uh, like, whaler coffee. You know, when you go out whaling, you don't really have all the amenities of, like, creamer and sugar unless, you know, you bring that along with you. Um, but, yeah, so all the whalers, basically, they just want their coffee black and strong and, uh, yeah, just to sustain them for the amount of time they have to spend out there. My my dad went whaling. Um, he He's a co he was a co-captain of a whaling crew, Savik crew, and um, he would be up for days out uh, at the whale camp, you know, on the ice and stuff. And so, yeah, they just like to stay awake so that they don't uh, miss the opportunity to go for a whale out there. <laughs> have you been to a whale camp? I have. Um, once I, when I was younger, and then both of my sisters, um, my older sister and my younger sister, Patuk and Roberta, they've been out on the ice Whaling. I, I went when I was really young, like just to you know come visit. Sorry, this is probably gonna make noise. <laughs> oh, you're good. Okay, I'll just leave it open. Um, and but me, I didn't spend too much time out there. I've been, but I have I haven't like spent a whole lot of time out on the ice. So what's that like to be out there on the ice waiting for a whale? Um. So when I went, I can't really speak too much to that. I guess I because I was just a kid, right? So I wasn't really paying attention. I was just like, this is cool. You know, it's nice out here. It was beautiful. I think it was 
um, yeah, springtime whaling because in the fall, the ice hasn't come in yet. In the spring, um, the ice hasn't left yet for the summer. And so you take a snow machine out, um, you follow a trail, and like along the trail, there's these pressure ridges of ice. They're like mountains of ice. And so to break trail, they have to like push through those. And so it's kind of just like this beautiful scenery. It's just like, you know, pretty flat out there. And um, yeah, it's just the ice. There's different colors of like, you, you didn't, you wouldn't think that there are different colors of just like ice, but there is, you know, there's this like blue and yeah, it's just, it's super pretty out there. And you said pressure ridges? Yeah. What are those? So pressure ridges, um, it's funny because I I have a, a, a media group that I hang out with um, and we're trying to like create a little, you know, like a, maybe a more formal organization. Um, but we were trying to come up with names for our media group and like what would be a cool name. And we're all Inupiaq from different regions, but all Inupiaq. And I was like, that's like the best, you know, <laughs> name for our media group is Ivunik, which means a pressure ridge um, in Inupiaq. And it, it happens when shore fast ice moves with, I think, the short so just okay i don't know all the dynamics about it my dad's a geologist and he studies ice so he's gonna be like really mad that i don't remember exactly what he said <laughs> um, but it's when um a current and then uh, a wind you know they kind of come together and they work and they push the ice and it pushes the ice on top of each other it topples on top of each other so it oh, creates okay. these like ice mountains basically out on the ice and those that's what a, a pressure ridge is and the inubak word for that is ivunek and i was like ivu so like the best thing. It's like, you know, that's a cool name and it's short and short and sweet, but it didn't end up being the winner. But yeah, that's what pressure ridge is. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of what we're going to talk about today will be about your podcast, Coffee and Quack. 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 Yeah. Coffee and Quack. Which explores contemporary native life in urban Alaska. Yes. Before we get into that though, I think it might help set the stage with your personal background. Okay. Um, so who am I? Um, when I usually introduce myself, I introduce myself in my native language, which is Inupiaq. So I say, um, Richard Lu, Arlene Lu Glenn, Savakdunga Rasmussen Foundation Me, as a program fellow. So uh, I'm Alice Kanik Glenn. I was born and raised in Utkervik or Barrow. My parents are Richard Savik Glenn and Arlene Ikelin Glenn, and I work at Rasmussen Foundation as a program fellow, a Momentum program fellow. So that's like my formal introduction. <laughs> um, I live here now. I uh, I grew up in Utkalvik, and I went to school outside in the lower 48, so in Florida and Arizona. I graduated in 2014 from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University with um, a bachelor's of science in aerospace studies. Dang, so you know how planes work. Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, I got the gist of it. I, I, I didn't really study airplanes too much. I was more interested in the space aspect okay. and, um, and kind of like life support systems in space. So that was my jam. And then so I graduated in 2014. I stayed and worked um, down south for a year, just like, you know, like as a hostess and stuff. And then internships. I, I did a couple of internships at NASA. Most of them, I did five. Five of them at the Kennedy Space Center. So I got to see a bunch of cool launches, um, space shuttle launches, and one landing, which was amazing. Um, it was dark out, though, because it was super early in the morning, so I didn't really get to see the full um thing but uh yeah that was just i mean just just to see the launches and to see them from the kennedy space center like as close as you can get safely that was so sick um and then so and then i had one um internship at the johnson space center in houston that was um amazing uh, i worked on the parachute test vehicle for the orion the uh, orion test vehicle um that was like my favorite experience even though i didn't really enjoy Houston that much, <laughs> but uh, and what is the Orion space vehicle? Um, so that is supposed to be the next generation. It was supposed to be. I don't know if it still is the next generation after the space shuttle program was shut down, and so it was supposed to go like to the moon, Mars, and beyond. That was the um, like the tagline, and so it's it's funny because it's like a little reminiscent of the Apollo structures, like this the same kind of 
the structures are like similar in shape rather than, you know, the space shuttle. It was just kind of like a bus to get us to and from the International Space Station. And then the Apollo was supposed to go to the moon, um, Apollo vehicles. And then these ones are supposed to go to the moon, Mars, and beyond. Um, so I, I worked in this parachute test vehicle, which is like all of the dynamics that the um, that the crew and service module would undergo on re-entry. So after they, you know, wherever they went, they would have to come and then we had to safely get, you know, astronauts back, astronauts and, and crew and, I mean, um, not crew, uh, you know, all of the systems. They, you have to get them and land them on Earth safely. And so there, there's this parachute system that happens, you know, it ejects. And so I helped with, like, some of those prototyping stuff, which is really cool. I mean. It, that is cool. Yeah. I don't know if they are still working on the Orion, Orion program, but, yeah. So that's what I did. Um, at the at the Johnson Space Center, which was awesome. Um, and then after that, I uh, yeah, so I worked for a year, just like menial jobs in, down south. And I came back in 2015, and I worked at UIC Umer Environmental. So I did a lot of um, I worked as an environmental specialist in environmental permitting, which had nothing to do with my degree, but it was um, it was a good you know just reentry into the like workforce basically. And then I got this cool opportunity to work at Rasmussen Foundation. I applied, never thinking that I would ever get it because I don't know. I didn't know anything about philanthropy at the time. I didn't know what you know that was all about. But I googled it and I applied. <laughs> and um, and I kind of I think I sold them on the idea that um, growing up in rural Alaska, I'm familiar with phil- philanthropy, but I don't know it as philanthropy. And you know, with that word, I I kind of know it as like the indigenous approach to philanthropy where you're sharing, um, sharing resources, sharing food. And yeah, so it's just been an amazing experience over there. Uh, And there's a cohort of us, of um, people of color um, involved in this fellowship where we get together like twice a year to help support each other. And um, we do a lot of leadership training together and um, peer coaching and all that kind of stuff. And professional coaching, we were even offered professional career coaching. so through all of that and through all of those like kind of um, the leadership stuff, I was I kind of realized my passion for podcasting, for what my mission is for Coffee and Clock. And that's just to to provide authentic and accurate Alaska Native representation. I thought it was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, you know, I came back to Alaska and I would, you know, I'm listening to the radio and it just kind of sounds like like Either it's dated stuff about us or like um, either sensationalized or like over, you know, romanticized to, to our ancestors or um, or it's left out of media altogether, really. And so I was just like, dang, man, where's our perspective? You know, I know so many Native people just here in Anchorage. And I was like, dude, like, we should record, <laughs> you know, like we should um figure something out. You know, I, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do and I wasn't sure what it would come of it, but I started and I did my first episode on traditional Inuit tattoos with Holly and Charlene. And it was super new and I was really nervous. But once I sat down with both of them, it just felt really natural. It felt like the right thing to do. And it felt, you know, um, it felt like it's kind of funny to say, but it felt like really cultural too. Mm-hmm. Like, like I feel like that's what Native people have been doing for. I mean, that's what people have been doing. But like um, specifically, since we had we didn't have a written language, we had uh, you know our knowledge was passed down orally. That it just seemed so fitting that like you know two Native people would come together and share stories with one another, and so it just felt like bigger than me at that point. And I was like, now I have to do it, <laughs> you know. And so um, yeah, so that's how Coffee and Clock came to be. You know, I, I listened to that episode with Holly Nordland. Nordlum. Nordlum. Mm-hmm. And she mentions how hard or judgmental Alaska Native communities can be on their own people. Mm. Why do you think that is? Uh, that's a good question. Why are Native people so hard on each other? I've been thinking about that for some time. And I call it the sock. <laughs> In Inupiaq, to sock someone is to scold someone and I kind of feel like it's at least for me I think it's like our love language uh 
if they aren't sucking you about something, then they don't really care about you. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. or care about what you're doing. If they don't, there's, there's always going to be feedback, right? And I think that the suck is a form of like love, but you know, I think it, it's just, it's a part of growing up in a native community. <laughs> Cause like, so it's not like a nuclear family situation, really, um, growing up in rural Alaska. You have your aunties, uncles, your whole community. They're all watching you. It's not just like, you know, I have kids, so I, I only watch my own kids and I can only scold my own kids. It's really not like that. It's, um, you know, if I'm playing outside and my parents aren't around, there's still other people, adults kind of watching over me. So it's kind of like everyone's your parent. So everyone has like the agency to scold you. I don't know if she, uh, Holly was referring exactly to that. She might have been in some ways, but yeah, she said that she didn't really know exactly how her community would receive her tavlagun, uh, her chin tattoos, because it was so new at that mm-hmm. time. It was, it was a practice that had gone away, especially during, you know, the the era of colonization. So those practices had gone away. And for many reasons, uh, the church, I think, um, had an effect on that or an influence on that. And um, so she was, I think she was, <laughs> she was a little worried about that because we're always getting corrected by our community members, by um, our elders and our elders are anyone older than us. So like I get scolded, sucked by my sister Patuk all the time. Um, it's just like normal, <laughs> you know, and, and anyone older than me, I, I always receive that scolding, you know, and it took me a long time to receive it with grace, but I think I'm finally there at 30 years old. But yeah, it's, it's just like, I think it's a form <laughs> of love. It's like a love language to scold each other and to, you know, um, to correct you when they think you're wrong. It's like giving your, your sibling shit. Yeah. Just kind of like calling them out. Yeah. But it all, it goes downwards, right? So only, like, we'll only receive it from our older, like, cousins, older siblings and stuff like that. It's never upward. There's, like, a weird, you know, I mean, that's just how I feel about seniority? it. Seniority? Yeah, exactly. Seniority. Yeah. It would just be weird if, like, I was getting scolded by my younger sister, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like, I can't think of it. I'm like, mm, no, that doesn't happen that way. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. You know, for... For someone like myself who's never been to a native village, how would you describe it? How would I describe it? So there's so many different ones, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's so many different regions, so many different native groups. Um, I can only speak for my maybe native village. I would say like the, the weather, the climate is cold, but the people are warm. I would say it's a close knit community, you know, um, I was just thinking about this today. Um, I feel so free, you know, at home. Like, I don't feel as safe or free here in Anchorage. And I don't know if it's just like a home thing. Like, that's just, it's because it's my home or whatever. But I I do feel like I had a sense of freedom growing up in a rural village. Um, Just to a a freedom to play outside, to go to the beach, to hang out on the tundra, to, you know, play on the snow fence, to go four wheeling. Like we just had a lot of freedom because we trusted each other. We know our community. We know who who lives where we um, and that thing, you know, like everyone's watching you if you're out like at gravel pits having a a bonfire and you didn't tell your parents. Someone's going to tell your parents, like, you know, (laughs) it's. It's um, it's fun. You know, I, I feel like there's uh, just it's almost like the Wild West. Right. But like the Wild North, <laughs> you know, like it's it's free. And um, yeah. And, and as long as you go with someone or like you meet someone there, all you need to know is one person. Then you're you got the ins and outs of like where to go for certain activities, um, you know, whatever seasonal cultural activities going on. Like Nelkatuk is just happening at the end of this month, um, which is the summertime feast and blanket toss it's like a celebration of a successful spring whale hunt so i mean if you went there you'd be welcome there you can sit down and they'll serve you food yeah so it's hard to explain you know like (laughs) for sure yeah it's like one of those things that you know so well that you can't really put words to it's like i was having this conversation with warren jones who's going to be on my next episode too is like 
it's like culture. You can't really explain culture to people who don't really understand what it means or like, or don't think that they have it or something. You know, it's like driving. How do you explain to a new driver how to drive when it's so natural to you that you just like, you don't really think about anything anymore. So it's hard to tell people like, oh, well, you just kind of have to feel it, you know, or, you know. So one thing that I believe, and it's motivated me to continue pursuing journalism in the way that I have, is that open, meaningful conversations are the bedrock to better understanding each other. Are there any preconceived ideas about Alaska Natives you're trying to dispel or help people better understand? Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's definitely just the goal. I feel that our voices aren't really being heard as young Alaska Native people, as, you know, changers, thinkers, and doers of like the millennial age. You know, I think there's so many people doing such great work right now, um, but we're just missing that in journalism. Like all of the news outlets, or most of them, I felt like throughout my childhood and up until now even, is that we were we had these stories of our disparities of our communities, you know, like it's such a foreign concept for a non-native to go into a rural village and, and to see it and to think that there's value in it because they just, they don't see the brilliance about it. They don't see the love, the community, you know, they don't see the culture. It's not something that you can see. It, so when a, a non-native person or like a journalist goes to one of these villages and they see like, you know, these small houses or like, you know, we don't, some villages don't have running water, you know, people think that they live in like squalor and like that they're non-educated and they don't understand, you know, and, um, and, and, and for all of these stories of, you know, just shit that's going on in our villages that, um, you know, that we're struggling with, that all people struggle with. But for some reason, we're, we're getting so, like, recognized for, you know, like, sometimes crime or, you know, drugs, which is, a, you know, a national epidemic, really, or, you know, all these just, I, I, I hate to see our communities being highlighted by their disparities all the time. Um, and so what I wanted to do was just to show that, yeah, we do have those and there's a time and place to talk about those, but it's not all the time, you know, and, and as a Native person, I don't want that to be our narrative. I don't want people to know us by these, you know, things that people think either are like so exotic or like so terrible and like, oh, the sun doesn't come up for three months. So like, that sounds so depressing, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, I don't like that. Like, that's not what I knew my community to be growing up. It's not what I know um, Native people to be like today. So I just really wanted to highlight, you know, some Native people's real perspectives, authentic, true perspectives, their thoughts, their experiences. And, and some of them are difficult experiences. It's true. But a lot of it is, you know, humor, fun, like, you know, freedom. Like I was just saying, I felt, you know, so free growing up. And like, and that, and that's what I choose to highlight, you know, because I, I think that, it's not being shared in journalism now. I mean, I th I just got to know Ravenna um, Koenig. Koenig or Koenig? I can't remember how to say her last name. But um, I, I love what she's doing. So she did a story recently on Snurts, which is amazing, which is a card game. You know, like it's a super competitive card game that we play um, all over Alaska, really. Um, but it just happens to be so popular in rural villages because, like, there's, you know, there's not a whole lot else to do but to play cards. And, you know, when hunters go out hunting and stuff, it's mostly women. So she's done, like, just a bunch of cool, like, stories about, like, skin sewing and playing snurts. And, um, but, you know, that's really not, that's an exception. It's not the rule. Did you say skin sewing? Uh, yeah. So she did a story about skin sewing. So um, traditional, okay, where do I start? <laughs> How far back do we need to go with this? Uh, so for whaling, we, we still whale with traditional skin boats. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And springtime, not in the fall time, but in the springtime, because they have to carry these umaks or these boats out on the ice. Um, they have to, you know, drag them with their s snow machine. And so you can't take, I mean, you can probably, but it's really difficult to take an aluminum boat out there. So the, the lightness and the durability of a, a seal skin boat is just prime example. Like it, it's, it's just, that's 
what they need to go whaling in the springtime. So the community, um, they prepare for our whaling seasons, um, fall and spring, all year long. That's a, it's a year-long process. And so earlier this year, there was a lot of skin sewing in um, Urkelvik. And they do that a lot of times at the Heritage Center. It's just, it's big enough, there's space. It's like this, you know, there's a lot of space to work on that. Um, and so she did a story, um, I think about, it was, I think it was skin sewing. Um, and I just, I just enjoyed, you know, <laughs> it was refreshing to see like an, an, an article just about that, you know, and, and not something so like uh, depressing or, you know, something that went wrong in the community. So I, I just appreciate that. And she just recently did another story like, you know, on snerts, which I just I appreciate. And snerts. Snerts. Cards. How do you play that? Uh, some people are really great at explaining it. I am not. But I've heard that it's like it's like playing solitaire. Everyone has their own deck. And it's like playing a speed solitaire. It's like a cross between speed and solitaire. You start with an ace. You can only – I don't know how to explain it. I'm sorry. Uh, I know how to play, but I can't really explain it. So the first one to, like, get rid of their deck of 13 um, wins. And you just – you build on um, suit. You go up from ace to king in one suit, you know, hearts, diamonds, clubs, spade, whatever, in the middle. And everyone can go on anyone's pile in the middle um, until they run out of cards. It gets really intense. Like, people will put a blanket down on the table because, like, they're throwing cards so fast that they, if they're throwing them, that they'll slip off, you know. They'll slip off the table if you don't have, like, a blanket or, like, some kind of friction on top of the table. Yeah, so it gets pretty intense. <laughs> Do you have any snert stories? Do I have any? I, I, I am not good. I try my hardest and I get really competitive. Um, I actually play here with my partner Amos's mom and his sister at their house every so often. And I'll break nails. Like I, It gets heated. <laughs> it gets super heated. And like we'll scream obscenities to each other. <laughs> and it's terrible because like, you know, this is my partner's mom and I'm like cursing her out. <laughs> Like, you know, and, and yelling at his sister. And it's just, it's it's so fun, you know, in that way that we just know we're playing cards. And, you know, we know that when someone's getting mad that someone else is winning. So, like, it's kind of fun. And, um, yeah, I I keep trying to get Amos, my partner, to play. But he <laughs> he zeroed out. So, like, you can zero out. If you, snur if you get rid of your pile before someone else does and so fast, that you can have a negative number, like – and so <laughs> um, the last game we played with him, he had negative three. And then the next game he played, he had positive three. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'm out. Like, I just needed to zero out. <laughs> <laughs> so your score carries over to the next game. Yeah, yes. So oh, you can okay. play however long that you want. First one to, you know, I don't know, whatever number, 500 or something. But What's the lowest score you've ever heard of? I've been uh, I've been snurted on. <laughs> I've been snurted on without even getting a, a card off of my pile. <laughs> um, Yvonne Gueco, um, she's Yvonne Fonua now, but like in Barrow when I used to play, she she would hold her baby, sock, scold her kids, be on the phone and play at the same time and skunk me. Like I would not get one card off of my pile before she was done. And and she was just like amazing. I I I'm interested to see how she is now or how she is today. Um, but yeah, she she amazed me. I was just like, what? <laughs> I was shocked. But I wasn't very good then. Um, I'm not as I'm not great now. But like, I try. <laughs> you know, I think that that image that you just described mm -hmm. of of your friend playing snurt. Yeah. I think that. Um, I think that's pretty powerful, you know, to, to give someone like myself who has no frame of reference for, you know, your village life. Mm -hmm. I recognize that person, Okay. you know, I, I, my grandma, it could just as easily yeah. be my grandma, you know, playing bridge or something like that. You yeah. know, what kind of stories are you trying to help tell through your podcast? Hmm. I think, um, I just, I don't know. I, um, I I just have these topics in mind that I think are important topics to cover. And some of them are a little bit like controversial or a little bit like ruffle of the feathers 
kind of challenging systems, challenging the way that we, even the Native community thinks about things. But I like that, you know, and I, I want to do it in like a loving way to, to, to just open a conversation, open a dialogue about, you know, the only way that we can get better altogether is to have constructive dialogues. Um, and so I really just have these topics, right? And I, I have like maybe six, five or six guiding questions that I come up with before I sit down with, an, with, a, with a guest. And, um, but I don't really go through it like an interview. I don't really, you know, I let it come out organically. You know, I'll be like, oh, yeah, so, you know, you know, in, a, in addition to that or like just like you said, and then kind of tie it into what the topic is. So I don't really pre-plan these conversations. And I think that's been the most brilliant part of them is that like I the, – the best pieces that have come out of a lot of my interviews or my discussions have been things that I, I didn't think of. You know, like with Leela for my episode two, Leela Smith, she does um, – she had a food truck. And it was a native food inspired food truck. Um, I wanted to know what influenced her in her upbringing to start a food truck and like what's her relationship with food. Um, and we went over all of that. But at the very end, she touched on that she gives her leftover like fry bread to the homeless population. And I couldn't have planned that. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know that she did that. I didn't know. But it was just like such a great part of you know, the episode, I was just like, wow, you know, I'm just like, so I just feel so lucky to be able to sit in on that conversation and record it and to share it with everyone. Cause I was just like, wow, that's just, you know, she, she explains that like, it could have been any one of us. It could have, if you look at the homeless population, a lot of them are Alaska native, you know, and for various reasons, different forms of colonization and, and, you know, substance abuse and all that kind of stuff, which stems from, you know, trauma. So, to hear her say that and to say like, you know, it could have been me if, you know, if it weren't, weren't for some small thing, like, you know, and that it really put those things in, into perspective for me. It's like, damn, I'm just like a couple of paychecks from being, you know, like homeless too. So like, uh, you know, and I couldn't, I just really couldn't plan that out. So I don't, I don't try, I try not to overthink the episodes. I try to like let people talk about what they want to talk about and, and just kind of, dive deeper into those conversations. Um, yeah. So I, I really just want people to tell their own story. That's all, you know, and, and in a way kind of just touch on these topics that I think are really interesting. So whatever they, whatever stories that they want to tell, um, I just came out with another one last week, finally, my episode six on decolonization. And, you know, there's some really like intimate, heavy stuff that was said, especially by IU. And so, I, I mean, I couldn't expect that either. Like, I didn't know, you know, and some people, like, some people have cried on my episodes and it's just like, wow, you know, I didn't know that it was so, like, powerful to, to share your story. And, you know, I want to I get back to colonization, okay. but I also wanted to comment um, that I think it's in those moments, you know, when, when people are comfortable enough to cry or mm. comfortable enough to give you those little like nuggets of really like precious information yeah. that it sounds like you have the same perspective as I do, mm -hmm. which is like you, you are very, you feel very privileged to be in that situation. And in those moments, in those moments, you're like, you know, you feel a sense of responsibility. Like I have to keep doing this. Like you said earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think that's why, you know, I feel like it just, it, it grew bigger than me at that point. Um, and it's, it is, it, it feels like a sense of responsibility to help facilitate those discussions and to help bring that out and to share those stories because they're important, you know, and, and sometimes we think like we need to hit like a certain milestone in our lives before we have the agency to tell our story or to share like their success about something or like, you know, like you have to graduate or you need to do this or you need to be, you know, but I don't think so. You know, I, I, I think everyone's story is valid today, where you are at today, where you are now. Those are all valid stories because it's a shared experience. 
you know, it's a shared experience of our communities, even if you're struggling, you know, and I think even sometimes it's more important to tell those stories when you're struggling because other people are probably going through the same thing. Um, and there's a sense of community in that, a sense of like, I, I feel your pain or like, I know. And yeah, so I, I, I don't try to like interview professionals or like, you know, um, I just, I, I just look for people who are interested in sharing their story and, and to better understand certain things like colonization or the traditional Inuit tattoo revitalization, food sustainability, um, two-spirit, you know, native community members, just like, you know, yeah, I, ho- I hope that answers your question. <laughs> it, it does. It does. Um, and it helps us move to the next question. Mm. <laughs> You've mentioned colonization a few times. How would you start that conversation? If we were to have a conversation about colonization right now, how would you start it? That has been like a source of anxiety for my um, my my last episode, which is decolonization, and I think that it really stressed me out because I don't want to come from an angry or you know a line has been drawn in the sand type of place. So I think that it's taken me a long time to get the decolonization episode out because of that. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to, you know, because the way that I opened up my episode is that I I was a little hesitant to talk about it because it kind of feels anti-white. And I'm not anti-white, you know, at all. I have, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter if I have white family members or not, but like I, you know, I'm not, I'm not anti-white. And decolonization it it has nothing to do with not loving and not respecting non-native people um it has everything to do with the reclamation of you know indigenous practices that existed before prior to colonization um so colonization the way that i think about it is the introduction and the the stopping of indigenous practices through various ways of colonization. A big one has been through the church. Um, Russian Orthodox? All. Okay, um, all of them. All of them, yeah. They've all, I've learned that they all came together, like the different churches before moving into different areas of Alaska, that they had this like meeting, the different people from the churches to say like, you get the North Slope, you get, you know, um, Southeast, you get... uh, the Aleutians, you get, you know, Northwest. And it's kind of crazy to think that like people would have a meeting, like that seems crazy to me that they would come in. And and you, we were spiritual people before that, you know, and so it always blew my mind growing up thinking like, wow, you know, we had this whole other religion that, I mean, you know, it's not, it wasn't a formal religion. It wasn't recognized by Western European um, settlers, um, but colonizers but um but we we did and we were strong in our in our spirituality but through the implement implementation of school school structure um we also were nomadic people seasonal nomadic um we were forced into cities to stay or villages to stay permanently to go to school um many people were sent to boarding schools i mean I mean, I don't know if you've heard of any of the atrocities through the boarding school stuff, but that's um, a known fact. Um, I don't think I have. Yeah. So uh, there's this huge, there was this huge movement um, and in our grandparents' age of sending kids to boarding school. Here in Alaska. Here in Alaska, yeah. And many people don't have traumatic experiences, but a lot of people do. Um, And you know, these were kids that were sent away to go to school and to kind of assimilate into, um, you know, white Western culture. They couldn't speak their language. Um, They had to dress a certain way. Some of them were abused. Like there's a lot of story of abuse, every types of abuse. And it was a a form of assimilation to, they said like, kill the Indian, save the man basically, for Alaska Native and Native American down south and um, They said that of them, 
the colonizers said that of the Alaska Natives and American Natives. Indian. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I mean, that's what they that's what they truly believed is if you kill the Indian, you'll, you'll save the man out of that person. So it was just a total removal of culture, identity, language, everything. Oh, um, it's dehumanizing. Yeah. I mean, at best, it's dehumanizing, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so, so there's a history with that, you know, and that was part of it. That was part of the, the colonization is to strip Alaska Native people of their culture, identity, language, all of these practices that we had. And, and the church was a part of it. But, you know, I, I don't want to blame it all on the church or anything like that. But it, it is. It's a, it's a big driving force. Um, Can I ask you a question? Sure. I think I might be more of an angrier person than you are. <laughs> and so I'm not Alaska Native. Mm-hmm. I'm just a whitey. <laughs> and uh, and I think that if I was Alaska Native, I, I would absolutely be one of the angry ones mm-hmm. easily. How do you subvert that anger? That's really hard because that was one of my questions too for my episode was how do we move forward with positivity and pride and strength rather than anger, um, victimization, or, you know, just hate. Cause I know that there's a lot of people still really mad and I'm, and I don't choose to be angry. I, I do find myself getting angrier about other things that are probably residual effects of colonization. But like recently, I, I mean, I, I was speaking with Kayleen Johnson Sullivan earlier today about like I'm a sensitive person, and I was wondering why pe- more people aren't angry about the, um, you know, missing and murdered Indigenous women movement, um, about HB 178 when we're living in a state with three, t- almost three times the national average of um, sexual assault against women. And what was that HB 178? Yeah, so that's the um, the bill that was brought forth about the anti-abortion bill that was brought up. A- couple of weeks ago and we we had a protest rally um so you know if we're living in a state with three times the national rate of sexual assault against women and six times the national rate against sexual assault against children and women aren't women and children aren't protected anyways but now you want like it just seems like why are you creating this you should mitigate these other things first before you try to police women's bodies i mean i don't want them to police our bodies anyways but still like if you think about it from that perspective like that's really messed up so that's what i get i i I get angry about those things um and the, the the uh the judge who let off the white guy who sexually assaulted a native woman um he didn't even go to jail like the judge let him off Mm -hmm. which is bizarre to me like I was having panic attacks like I'm a native woman how am I supposed to feel like if and this happened in Anchorage correct this happened just I think the end of last year or like last fall or something and do you remember the situation just for listeners who who may not know yeah okay so what's the story um an Alaska native woman was sexually assaulted by a white man. I think he worked as an air traffic control, air traffic controller guy. I think she wanted a ride home. She asked for a ride home or something. And he ended up like driving to this like obscure place. He strangled her. He told her that he was going to kill her. And then he sexually assaulted her and left her there and then drove off. And I think she called police when she got back into town or got back to where she needed to go. And he, during his sentencing, the judge said that he had like time served already or something. And they let, like, they let him off. Like no jail time. Yeah. I remember reading about this. <sighs> yeah. And it's just like, what the fuck am I supposed to think as a native woman walking on the street, like that just any white guy can fucking sexually assault me and he won't get any jail time. Like, he's free. Like, there's no protection for Native women. You know what I mean? Like, from a judge that we should trust to make the right decision. I know that there's, like, these nuanced things about, like, the legislative whatever or, like, you know. But, like, still, what's right and what's wrong, you know? And it's just, it feels like there's so many attacks on the most vulnerable in our communities. Women, Native Native women, Native children, um, just even recently the the compact 
agreement that was supposed to go through through with the tribes and with the state. The state just left, like left the table. They were supposed to come to a negotiation, um, like come to an agreement to protect Native kids. And the, the tribes were willing to work with the state on that, but the state just like walked away. You know, those things I'm really, I'm really pissed off about. And I feel those like so much more. I don't know if like I was just blind to it before I moved back or whatever, but like I just feel it so much now. I just feel like there's so much like social responsibility, social justice that needs to be done, especially for Native people who've been living here. This is my, this is our home. Like we've been living here for thousands of years and we can't get any like protection from, you know, law enforcement. Like that's, it's just, it's frustrating. Um, and it has an impact, you know, and, and coming from a Native person that grew up in a good family, a great community, um, security, I wasn't poor. And I'm struggling with those issues, you know, and how are other people that aren't as privileged as me, Native people, able to deal with those things, you know, and they come out. You you can see in our communities that people are struggling because of these issues that we can't rely on, you know, some of these institutions that we believe are supposed to protect us are supposed to, you know, keep us safe and all that kind of stuff. And it's just not working. You know, there's a failing Something's failing, right? And and so that that's what really puts it in, into perspective for me. Because like, if, if I'm struggling with these things and I'm having, you know, like mental health issues, I have like panic attacks and anxiety sometimes. And I just came out like out of a bout of like depression, just thinking about all these things. They just seem so heavy, so big, so unattainable. It's just like, how does somebody with less, you know, privilege than me deal with those things? And it's probably, you know... They turn to self-medication, you know, and they probably aren't getting the therapy that they need, you know, that kind of thing. It's just, it's easy to see why. And it's so close to home for me that I get upset about those things. And and I just want to do my part and use what I can to share our stories so that people understand that, you know, because some people just think like natives are just like drunk natives or like, um, you know, that there's this preconceived notion or like they're not educated or they, you know, all these things when there's just so many like <laughs> complexities to our people and, and there's a history and um, there's things, social justice, like that just needs to be carried out for people to understand what's going on. And I just want to help people understand that and help other people understand ourselves, you know, like how can we come to this idea about decolonization and understanding what was happened, what happened to us as Native people, when we don't, when we don't even know it, you know, like it, I'm in my, you know, I'm 30 now before I I realized what actually happened to us, and Ayu even touches on it too about how she was talking with an elder and he was saying, I'm at the end of my life before I'm finally realizing what happened to us as people, all of the lies that we were fed about our people, what's right and what's wrong and what, you know, works and what doesn't work. And so, I mean, like you can live your whole life under this like veil of like what is right and what's wrong. And I don't want that for future generations. I want people to know about what the real history of of us were in in terms of colonization and who we were before that and who we are now. So... I mean, I think that that would be a way <laughs> to open up the the dialogue about colonization. And um, I don't know if you've listened to the episode, but Ayu does it in such a like a eloquent and graceful way to bring up that subject. And you said something like, "You don't know that you're being lied to until you know you're at a certain point. You're 30, and you you look back and you're like, holy shit." this has all been a bunch of lies. And so your your eyes are kind of open now. How do we as a community, as as Alaska, because I think it's, it's everybody's responsibility mm -hmm. to help tell the true story? Where do we start with that? For me, I would start with the education system. We grow up thinking that, you know, our country, our people came in from Europe. You know, like... Christopher Columbus came on the boat. Like, that's how our, uh, you know, our country started. And they just kind of leave out all of the shameful things that happened, too. You know, even when, like, I went to school to learn about, you know, aerospace and space studies and everything, 
excuse me, I didn't know that Russia had beaten us in the space race before. You know, we were the first to go to the moon, but they were the first to go to space. They were the first woman in space. Like there were so many like victories that they had over us. But I didn't learn about any of that until I got to school in university, you know, and I didn't. And I was telling Kayleen earlier, like I didn't even learn about the Northern Lights. I grew up with the Northern Lights. I, you know, we hear about them all the time. We see them. Um, We have, you know, stories and songs about the Northern Lights, but I didn't learn about the Northern Lights, like the physics and the science behind it until I left and went to university and went to a space school. You know, like, I don't know if I would learn that at any other university, but, um, but I was shocked. I was just like, dang, you know, I spent my whole childhood, (laughs) you know, in Northern Alaska learning about like Thanksgiving, you know, and Native Americans getting together with, uh, you know, the, what do they call them? Starts with a P. The pilgrims. Pilgrims. Pilgrims and the Native Americans getting together hand in hand, dandy dandy, you know, like you don't learn about the real story, mm-hmm. you know, and then we grew up with the story Pocahontas, right? That's not even an accurate story either. She was a 14-year-old girl who, you know, was basically like stripped from her homeland, you know, and we don't learn about those stories growing up. Our history is totally disregarded as, you know, like folktale or something, Um when it's not, you know, that's our history as Alaska Native people, as as people, as Native people, and just as people, right? And that 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 knowledge, that brilliance, is not carried forward into the education system. So I would say we should have like place based knowledge in our education system, um, traditional knowledge in our education system, and I think that there are moves to get that started, but for someone like me who who went through, you know, the education I'm not saying it was terrible, but I'm just saying it was not accurate, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um so I would say start with the education system. Um and the only way is recognize the only way to start with that is to recognize our our traditional knowledge as part of a, as history, as part of the curriculum, as something to be shared and something to to be learned. And I have an episode that I'm going to do on that Alaska Native education system and what's failing and um, what can we do and how important culture is is in the education process. Um, so I'm, I haven't learned all of that yet, but I, I hope to and have a conversation about that. So I, I would say it starts in the education system for sure. How important is tradition and culture to younger generations versus elders? It's so important. I mean, it's identity you know that's who we are if we lose that then we lose identity it's important for elders it's important for young people it's important for everyone you know it would be devastating to our communities to lose that it would be just any other so like i was telling you earlier you know like if you went into a village and you see that there are these you know tiny houses. Um, they might look run down. I think that when you go into a community like that and you don't see culture, you don't see that culture fills in the gaps of what a fulfilling life is. You know, as a non-Native person going into one of these villages and not recognizing the cultural aspect of that, which is the traditional knowledge and all that kind of stuff, you're missing so much of that story you know and so if you strip native people from that if you strip traditional knowledge and cultural practices from that that's what it is that's what i would you know see it as as an outsider would see you know like some villages that don't you know they don't look beautiful or they don't you know they're not pleasing to uh non-natives eyes or you know whatever that's how i would view it if we were stripped of culture and and tradition it would just be, you know, a sliver of what, I mean, for me, I think Alaska Native people are like the smartest, funniest, you know, strongest people that I know. And that's, this is my, you know, my view of us as Native people. And all of that would be just undermined and just stripped away if we didn't have culture and tradition and pride in our identity and those things. So it's hard to explain, <laughs> you know, but I, I'm trying it would look empty 
to me. And so it's so important. And it's everyone's responsibility to every Native person's responsibility to reclaim those things, to continue practicing those things, you know, and to keep learning, be a lifelong learner. And so I try to make it a point to go home to learn those things. I try to, you know, speak my language as much as I can. Uh, my partner, Amos, has a five-year-old who I love, so I'm trying to teach him all of the Native songs that I know and the stories. We try to tell him you know, like all of our folk folk tales about, we've got some silly folk tales. Um, but just to, you know, to introduce that aspect of culture and um, and knowledge and, language we teach him to count in inupak and and i'm not like a professional i don't know i'm still we're still all like recovering from these effects of colonization right so many of us don't speak our native language because our grandparents were forced to speak english they were forced not to speak their language right and so they have residual effects on on that and so many of our languages are endangered how do your grandparents view this is it different than how you view it yeah, I think so. Um, so my grandparents on my mom's side have passed, um, but my on my dad's side, they're both here still with us, thank God. I think that – so I'll, I'll tell you a little story about my grandparents on my dad's side. So my grandfather was in the military, and he came up during the Cold War at the Dew Line – to uh, they at that time they thought that you know missiles might come from Russia right through the um, North Pole and so they had set up stations to sense those if they were coming right and so he he was in the Navy we have a Naval Arctic Research Laboratory NARL we call it NARL in in Barrow anyway so he worked there and that's where he met my Aka who is my grandmother. At that time, they weren't allowed to fraternize with the natives. Like, um, they weren't allowed to meet and hang out and whatever. But my Aka, she worked the phone system or, like, the communication system, whatever they had. The switchboard? Yeah, exactly. And she was a nurse at that time or she was studying to be a nurse or whatever. Anyway, so they ended up talking through the communication system that they had at that time. And um, they said, you know, you can't marry Alice, so I'm named after. You can't marry Alice, otherwise you'll get kicked out of the Navy. He said, kick me out. <laughs> and so they got married. And um, as soon as they did, they moved down south to, I don't know if it was to Nebraska or to California, but Nebraska is where my, my grandfather grew up. So, I mean, that's got to be a culture shock, right? So at that time, there was little contact with like the outside world really. And, you know, just, so my grandmother, I think about that all the time. It's like, how did my Aka feel coming from Utkalvik to like California or Nebraska? Like that's gotta be a huge shift, you know? And I think she cried and she struggled and everything, but she got through it, you know? And so I, I often thought about that when I was away at college, cause like it was hard for me then, you know? And how hard ha must it have been for my Aka then? <laughs> you know, like that's just gotta be, Anyway, so... Um, Has she ever told you how she felt? Yeah. She's explained to me. She's strong in faith, though, you know, so she's uh, really religious, and I know that she leans really hard on that, and um, which is great. I, I think that I'm not against, you know, religion or anything like that. I, I respect it, and if it helps whoever get through the days, then I totally respect that, and I love my Aka, you know, obviously. Um, so I think that... She's an optimistic person, you know, and I think she is so forgiving and so loving. And the neighborhood women, they tried to teach her how to be white, like how to be, you know, and and I think she thinks that they did it out of love. And I think that they did too, you know, because they didn't want her to be an outcast. They didn't want her to be weird. They didn't want her to not know how to take care of your husband or like how to cook and all that kind of like stuff that they would do. So they, they took her under their wing. 
but like for me, like if I tried, I try to think like if it were, if it were me, I would just be like, you know, up yours. Like I'm gonna live how I want to live. Like this is my <laughs> life. Be like, you know, but that's it was a different time, right? And so I can't really, you can't really, you know, you can't really compare the two because it was just such different times then. Um, so I, I don't think she's angry. She's not angry about anything. She's, I don't, I don't know if anyone would have the energy to hold in that much anger for so long and live that long. You know, mm-hmm. she's her and my, my grandfather. I don't think they're angry about anything. And I think, well, my appa, he, he's always listening to the news and like, rah, 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 rah. that'll know? make anybody mad. <laughs> huh? I said, that'll make anybody yeah, mad. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I agree. So I don't know. I don't know. I, they listen to my podcast, which is really sweet. I think is, I was really scared because my appa's really conservative, you know, and, but they support me. And I think that they support what I'm doing. I don't know how they feel about certain things that we talk about, but um, I think they're optimistic people and they're loving and forgiving. And um, and I hope to be like them when I grow up. To because it's it's true you can't live that long and be hateful and be angry about things that have happened to you or and and I do think that they see the good in all the things that happened. Which is great. Um, Which is, I think, a a very special skill considering all the things they've had to go through. Yeah, I agree. Totally. It's it's admirable. You know, like, I feel like Mayaka's a saint, you know. (laughs) And and I think that her faith really helps her through some of those, or at least helped her through some of those emotions growing up. And so she's superwoman. She can go through anything. And... If she can, I can. Okay, so to wrap this up, mm-hmm. do you have any words to live by? Yes, I do. So before I got started with my podcast, I I listened to this TED Talk. I can't remember who it was by or, you know, what it was even called. <clears throat> but um, it really struck a chord with me and it really forced me because I was like in this kind of like – overthinking stage of like what I wanted Coffee and Clock to be. I had like this like 20 pages of like what I wanted and like how I wanted to do things. I had written it all down, right? So I was just creating this this like packet of how I wanted to do Coffee and Clock. But then I listened to this um, TED Talk and it was it was something about like pushing the pushing the lines of innovation. And there were three points, but I only remember two from it. And the first one is learning over education. So you don't need to be educated, formally educated, in order to be successful at something. Sometimes it's better to not be because you won't think like everyone else who have been in that area or that arena of, you know, specialty or whatever. So you don't need to be overeducated to to get something done because you can learn as you go. And we're living in such a fast time of, like, technology and, you know, social media and everything. Like, every almost like knowledge is is accessible, you know, um, online and in libraries and everything. So like you just need to be open to learning as you go and and to learn what you need to learn to move forward. So you don't need to be, you don't need a degree. You don't need any of that in order to be successful in what you really want to do. And second is um, compass over maps. You don't need to have everything all figured out, planned out in advance to get started on something. You just need to know, you just need to have a strong compass. You need to know which direction that you're going and and you need to have that sense of pushing forward towards something. And that's one that I just, I, I really love that, you know, to just, I, I had no, I didn't even really listen to podcasts before I started mine. I didn't even know, I didn't even really know what a podcast was. I didn't know anything about what I was doing, right? But I had this this compass. I had this this drive to to share stories, to um, share accurate and authentic Alaska Native representation with ourselves and with the world, you know. And I was going to do whatever it took to do that. And you don't need to know how to do everything in order to get to where you want to go, because 
as you go, you'll learn new things. You'll pick up things. You'll, you know, you'll meet people and you can't, there's going to be so many changes in your path that you, that you can't account for in the beginning. So it's just kind of like wasted time to like overthink about all of those things. So that's, those are my two um, things that I try to live by learning over education and compass over maps. That's great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm excited to listen to it. You can support local grassroots journalism at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. You can also support this podcast with a one-time payment at buymeacoffee.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats. <laughs>